0: Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one I'm calling this Outside Looking In because I thought it would be interesting to get a different perspective on what the Jets have been doing, both with Adam Gase and Greg Williams, the new head coach and defensive coordinator, respectively, from people who have seen both of them up close in different capacities. I'm speaking, of course, of people who cover division rival Buffalo Bills. With Gase, they've seen him two times a year as head coach of the Miami Dolphins and are familiar with him that way. And with Greg Williams, they saw him up close because he's their former head coach. In fact, that was his first head coaching opportunity from 2001 to 2003. I thought it might be instructive to reach out to members of the Buffalo area media about this because some of the Dolphins media and fan base are kind of jaded right now regarding Gase, whereas those around Buffalo might have a more neutral perspective. And being that Gase has said that Williams is going to be the de facto head coach of the defense, I thought it might be interesting to find out what it was like when Greg Williams was the head coach of the entire team for a full three-year term, including what that meant for the Buffalo defense. So what do those who cover the Buffalo Bills and the fan base and those around the organization think of the Jets hiring Adam Gase, who they saw quite a bit of the last couple of years? And what do they think of the Jets bringing in Greg Williams, who was very successful with the Buffalo defense, but flamed out as their head coach over 15 years ago? For that, I turn to two guys who have been covering the Buffalo Bills for the better part of the last two decades. If you listen to Buffalo Bills coverage on the radio, you know my first guest. He's a host on WGR radio and he's also the sideline and beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills. Constant presence on TV up in Buffalo as well. Mr. Sal Capaccio. Sal, what's going on, man?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Not much. Uh, just trying to stay warm here this winter and you know look forward to a lot of things happening this offseason.
0: Yeah, tell me about it. A lot of interesting things happening this offseason. We're gonna to get to free agency in the draft down the line, but with the Jets you guys went through this a couple years ago for the Bills. We had the big coaching search. Adam Gase comes in here. He is the new head coach. We've talked to people from the Dolphins, talked to people from the Jets who have their perspective of what they thought of the presser and what the Jets' process was like. wanted to pick your brain a little bit because, as I said, you're the Bills' sideline reporter, so you've watched Gase up close from the opposing sidelines and had a different viewpoint because you're not somebody from the Jets who might have a positive or negative view just based on the fact that he's here now. Now, nor are you somebody that covers Miami who might have a jaded perspective based on how things ended for Gase there. So what was your immediate reaction when you heard that the Jets had hired Adam Gase as their next head coach? I was a little bit surprised
1: that they, you know, didn't want to go with somebody a little more fresh and new for the organization, Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, not at all surprised that the type of person they chose was someone who is known to be you know, a innovative, good offensive thinker who has worked with quarterbacks and done well with them, knowing that they really wanted somebody to help bring Sam Donald along. I think that was, you know, maybe the name itself, Gaze not having success necessarily, just getting fired recently in division was a a bit of a surprise, but not a surprise to the type of person uh, that they did knowing his background.
0: As far as innovative offensive mind, like I've said, you saw him up close, twice against the Bills every year for the last three years. From your observations, is that something that you think holds up? Do you think his reputation is legit?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I call him innovative. I didn't see anything that made me go, wow, like this guy's you know, reinventing things in football. But I do think that uh you know he's done a good job with what he had. And meaning, like obviously you know that his reputation with Peyton Manning and why he got the Dolphins job originally. But you know honestly, I think that two thousand sixteen season when the Dolphins made the playoffs, especially after Ryan Tannehill went out, he did a really nice job. Uh, he had Matt Moore, and they went out there and <clears throat> they scored points at the end of the year. Uh, I know they came here in an overtime game; they they won. They scored thirty-four points. in The Bills they scored thirty-four points from the Jets uh, the week before that. I'm looking at their schedule that year, and they did a nice job. And they went to the playoffs. They didn't do much against the Steelers, but I, I think Adam is is probably the guy that you know could steer your ship pretty well when you need somebody because. Maybe you know can come up with a nice game plan to keep things on board and on schedule. But I I, I think talent obviously trumps everything, and having Peyton Manning, you know, is going to be great for any coach. I mean, he's going to make any coach look really good. But I thought Case did a nice job that first year. I think ultimately, though, what always struck me about him, and this is from conversations with people in Miami, media that I know. I used to actually live in Florida and work down there. It's also just from you know, watching him, and observing, and paying attention. I, I think he seems like he's a bit of a loner. Ah, uh, someone who you know wants to do things his way. He doesn't really want to do a lot of have a lot of collaboration when it comes to like, the owner, the GM, other people. And I think that's ultimately really what did him in in Miami. He does that in New York, and he's going to have a lot of trouble.
0: Backtracking a little bit, you said that you were kind of surprised that the Jets hired Gase. Were you surprised that the Dolphins fired him?
1: Well, look, I think that he had a lot of pressure on coming into the season. They made their playoffs their first year. And I think it buys a coach a couple of years of credit, you know, with an owner. But you have to remember, Stephen Ross bought the team the first year he owned them. They won the AFC East. He was used to winning. I think he got a little impatient when he didn't win with a couple of previous coaches as well. So after they made that the last first year, I think things were going well. But I know going into this year, if you get three years, if you're not, you know, winning now in the league, something's going to happen. And then I do know there was a strained relationship between, you know, Ross and Gates that kind of grew because Gates felt that Ross was basically you know, meddling in things he shouldn't, and what does he know about football? I'm the head coach here, and I really think that as the season went on, they had to start showing a little more life and spirit than they did. And the Minnesota game when they got they got rolled early, they came back in the game, but you know, Ross, from what I heard, was really upset with how they came out of the gate there. And then the ultimate nail, I think, for Adam Gates was actually up here in Buffalo, the last game of the year. They were just disinterested. The Bills came out and just rolled them from the start. And you know, Mike came back and had a good second quarter, but. 42 points. The Bills don't have a great offense. They scored 42 points. It looked like it was run for the buffs time for the Dolphins. And I think it just sealed his fate where Ross said, I, I just can't have this if my guys aren't even interested playing for this guy.
0: What did you see up close? Because you were there on the sideline. Did it look like Miami had kind of laid down and died and quit on him at the end there?
1: You know what? It did at the beginning of the game. It was up, The Bills were up early. 14 nothing, And then we're like, oh my god, this is going to be a laugher. And we all talked about it. I talked with Miami people, Buffalo people, about how Hey, that could happen here. You get a warm weather team coming up here in the cold. I mean, there were there were rumors going around that there were Dolphins players who were literally like going into the training room that week saying, "I find something wrong with me. I don't want to play." I mean, you know, they're coming up here. They're going to play in 25, 30 degree weather. They're not making the playoffs. You know, guys were just not wanting to play, but. Suddenly they came back. They made it a game. I mean, I can't remember exactly what the score was. Uh, they go to halftime at the close game, maybe even tied. I can't remember for sure. But then the Bills came out, and they just steamrolled them in the second half, and it looked like the Dolphins were just like, hey, our season's over. Let's get to the off season." And you can never have that when the head coach is fighting for his job.
0: I wanted to ask you about an interesting parallel that some people have brought up because it was in division and because it was somebody that jumped right from one job to another. And that's Rex Ryan, because obviously, you know, all about this since he went from the Jets right to the Bills. And it went wrong, and now Rex Ryan is working at ESPN. A lot of people saying that a big part of that was Rex just jumped right into the next job, didn't have any time to really opine on the mistakes that he made and correct course, and so he was doomed to fail from the beginning. Is that how you saw Rex Ryan's tenure with the Buffalo Bills? Or do you think he was more victim of the circumstances as far as the roster and what they had there?
1: No, I think Rex no I think it's two completely different situations. Rex Ryan, let me tell you something about Rex Ryan. I, I mean, I was on his sideline for two years covered cover him very, very close for two years, got to know him, um, you know, what he's all about. Rex Ryan employed more assistant coaches than anybody in the history of football, pretty much. You know why? Because Rex Ryan didn't want to have to do the work. Rex Ryan wanted all his assistants to do the work, and he wanted to enjoy life. Rex Ryan loved, he loved more than anything, being a head coach in the NFL. He didn't want to do what it took to be a, head, a real head coach in the NFL. That's the bottom line. And I think it, when he was in New York, when he started... He's he such a great culture changer, and that worked. And the raw rock stuff, and I think that getting his first job, you know, he they were all on board. But ask everything started to go south later on, who knows what happened in New York? I think it was really good for the Jets for what they needed at the time. When he came to Buffalo, though, he was all about getting his buddies jobs, staying in the football. Look at me, I'm a Ryan. This is who I am. This is my identity. But he would from look, He was the last one in. In the first one out every day as a head coach think about that that's what someone told me i mean and and who who's who knows who's there all the time and things like that you just can't have that so i don't think that's adam gase at all um you know maybe adam gase could have benefited by stepping back for a year but look these guys There's only 32 jobs like this in the world and if you step back for a year you don't know if only two or three are going to open up next year so i don't blame adam gase at all for wanting this job and i don't think that um I think going from one team in the division to another is good. Like Rex did, Rex, you know, came and he knew the personnel, of the team he was going to play, and you know the Patriots and the Dolphins. He had played them twice a year, but I wouldn't worry about that with uh, with Adam Gage. You know, Rex Ryan is a a. a Great personality. He belonged on TV. He did not belong being a head coach in the NFL anymore because he didn't want to put in the work that it took to be a head coach.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. I realize the
0: Jets aren't the center of the universe up there in Buffalo the way that they are here, but I would imagine that what they do is somewhat relevant, being that they're within the division. Have you had the opportunity to talk to anybody around the Buffalo Bills organization, or as a radio host, have you had a consensus opinion from the Buffalo Bills fans about what everybody there thinks about the Jets getting Adam Gase as their next head coach?
1: I think Bills fans are in the same boat as a lot of people. They laugh and they say, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying they're justified in doing it. Ha ha, look at this guy. There's a guy that came to Buffalo and they they lost 42 to 17 and the Bills, you know, they did a, the Bills did a great job against them, uh, this year, you know, last year going to Miami and the Bills had to win the game to get to the playoffs and they did and you know, nobody saw anything special out of the guy. Um, so Bills fans are probably, I think, I think, you know, here's the thing. You know, in Buffalo, we have Sean McDermott. We've hired Rex Ryan. They've always gone with the, if not the safer guy, he's never been an innovative coach. I think Bills fans, honestly, are scared that maybe the Jets were going to go with a Kingsbury. Maybe they're going to go with a, a hot new Matt Rule, you know, and say, wow, what can he do with Sam Darnold? I think really what this for Bills fans, the majority of the prop are they're, they're not worried because they don't think that Adam Gase is suddenly going to be so innovative and take Sam Darnold to places that other people can. They were worried that maybe a hot new, Schematic guy like a Kingsbury, a Sh- like a Sean McVay type would do that, you know. And I think that's what it is. More than anything, Bill's fans are more worried about Finn Donald than they are Adam Gase. I'll tell you that.
0: What do the people around the Bills organization, to the best of your knowledge, think of Adam Gase? And was there any reaction from them about this?
1: I think the coaching fraternity; those guys respect each other on a on uh, a really high level. And I think that Bills coaching staff has a lot of respect for Adam Gase and you know what he's done in this league.
0: If you were a betting man, based on what you saw in Buffalo and based on what you saw over the last three years, seeing what you also saw from the Jets and Sam Darnold, do you think that this will be a good marriage? And what do you see from the Jets that you think would be good and bad as a fit with Gase? Again, looking at it from an outside perspective from Buffalo,
1: I think good. Obviously, it's he has Sam Darnold. I mean, if he can really, <laughs> if he can really push the right buttons, it's all about Sam. If he can really you know, get Sam and everything I know. Sam is going to work hard and, you know, he's a really good player. He's pretty well highly thought of. I know I have a high personal opinion of him. I think Bills do as well. Many of them wanted him in Buffalo. And you know, I think Adam Gase is set up in a right situation with a young quarterback. They have a lot of draft. They have a lot of, uh, pre money to spend just like the Bills. They're sort of the top three teams as far as money available. The Bills are jets are in a very similar spot. They have young quarterbacks. They took last year in the first round and they have a ton of salary cap space available. And they have draft capital, you know, both teams have all of this. So I, that's the good thing. The bad thing, here's what I would be worried about if I were a Jets fan. I'm telling you, it just seems like there's a, this is a guy that's gonna come in and he's going to want to do things his way. He's not going to want anybody to tell him otherwise because he's a head coach. He knows football. And I think then it's incumbent upon is the Jets organization willing to do that or is the Johnson family going to tell him what they think needs to be done, and is that relationship going to go sour? I, I He doesn't strike me as a particular type of people person, if you will. You know what I mean, out of base. He strikes me as somebody who probably doesn't have the same kind of social skills, if you will, that a wrecked Brian will. kind of adapt and be a chameleon uh, if he has to. And I think that that would be the concern for me. If the if the Jets organization and ownership leave him alone, I think he could be real good. And it could be fine. If not, and you are going to want to have input and see things and want to go in whatever direction, I think that's when problems might arise and you might be looking for that coach in the years.
0: From an opposing perspective, somebody who's watched this from the other side of the sideline, when you look at the Jets roster and you look at what Adam Gase likes to do, heading into free agency, heading into the draft— what do you think are the things that they need to improve upon the most? Which types of pieces do you think they need to add more so than anything else?
1: I think the offensive line needs to needs to be better, you know, than what than what it is. But I think I love the fact that Sam Darnold had a very quick release, so though. I think that helps, you know, and can mitigate it. But I think that they they'd like to improve there, make sure they keep Sam healthy, uh, make sure that they can, you know, run the football when they need to and protect him, obviously. I was really high on their receiving court this year. I thought it was very much it was a lot better than people give it credit for. Uh, I was a Quincy Enunwa guy. I yeah. like Robbie Anderson. I like those guys. I don't think they performed up to that level, though. You know, they didn't have any. You know, Anderson had some nice moments. You know, um, you know I just didn't. Uh, I didn't think that they really blew the doors off anybody. And I don't know. Maybe that was the OC or Sam and the quarterback change and all that kind of stuff that happened with the injury. Um, so maybe he needs to add a little bit there. Um, probably. You know, overall though, I think that Adam. Ace can probably, as long as he can work with Sam Donald really well, I think that those things can be mitigated in a lot of ways. So probably that's that more than anything else. Uh, defensively, look, I mean, um, you know, there's so much money to spend that they can go out and they can address whatever needs they have to. I think the front seven's been a little bit of a disappointment. I think if I, you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong, for some of the guys that they had there and Williams being drafted where he was, I don't think he necessarily had the quite the season. That uh, they expected them to have, so you know maybe that's where they can concentrate. But now with the head coach that has an offensive mind, he's probably going to want to spend some of that capital on the offensive side, and you know we'll see where they go there.
0: Sal, as you mentioned, both the Jets and Bills have a ton of cash to spend in free agency this off season. Are there any specific players where you see the Jets and Bills being in direct competition for their services? I would
1: think that maybe uh, if both teams want to add a wide receiver uh, to, uh, you know, what they're trying to do, I think both teams might need that number one guy. Now, look, there's nobody in free agency that, oh, my gosh, he's a number one. But, you know what, maybe Golden State's a guy like that. Maybe Tyrell Williams is a guy like that from, you know, the Chargers, someone like that. Maybe if there's a wide receiver out there, they'd both be vying for uh, in free agency. You know, Um, someone like that, I think, could be. You know, on their radar, I hadn't, uh, gone down completely the rabbit hole of, you know, offensive linemen and might like, like what they might want there, but there could be guys, you know, at different positions that both teams are looking at for sure. But I think wide receiver is probably, you know, that's going to be interesting because the Jets can say, Hey, we got Sam Darrow. Look what we're going to do. And the Bills can say, look, well, we have got Josh Allen who's going to throw the ball over them mountains and you could just run five patterns all day. Look what you could do here. I think that that could be an interesting, um, you know, bit of competition.
0: Sal, you're going to be on the sidelines two times next year when the Jets play the Bills, of course, at Orchard Park and here at MetLife Stadium. Obviously, a lot to be seen as far as guys that get added via the draft and free agency, but as of right now, what would you expect to see in terms of those games? Do you expect them to be competitive battles like the second matchup where the Jets came back and won, or do you think that, the Bills could have a plan in place or the Jets could have a plan in place to kind of blow the doors off?
1: No, I think it's going to be very competitive going forward between these teams. I mean, everybody's waiting for both of them to kind of be the teams and one or the other to be the heir apparent to the New England Patriots once you know, Brady retires and Belichick's gone. I think they're both setting themselves up for that run. I, look, I, I really believe, I think what it comes down to is both these teams have a lot of resources to be able to do that now available to them. It comes down to the organization and the decision maker and what they do. I think the talent there is in place. You know, one of the best young defenders in football and Jamal Adams on one side, you know, it's Trey White on the other side, Jermaine Edmonds on the Bills side, Leonard Williams. Like I said, I think both teams are setting up their defense can be young. It can be very good. Um, I think on the offensive side, they both need work, uh, in several areas. Like we said, they both have these young quarterbacks. I think it's going to be very, very competitive. I would not expect the Bills are just to pull away from each other anytime soon. I think the bigger question is, you know, which team pulls ahead of the Patriots first and how long can that last if they do?
0: You mentioned the decision makers who are going to be the ones that are going to add the talent based on what we've seen so far. Again, outside looking in as far as Mike McKagan, but obviously on the inside for you with the bills, do you have faith in the key decision makers on both sides of the ledger to add the pieces to keep pushing things forward for each respective franchise at this point?
1: Well, I mean, it remains to be seen now with the Jets. I think anytime you have regime change and you have to see the dynamic between the head coach and the GM and the ownership, I think all of that is, uh, is remains to be seen. I really do like Brandon Bean here in Tom McDermott. I think they have a plan in place. One of the biggest things, the most important things that Brandon Bean did, he did something no one else has really ever done in Buffalo since, you know, for the last 25 years. And that is he said, we are going to take all of our salary cap issues. And just let it sit for one year. We're going to eat all that money. Whereas past teams under Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan or whoever was in charge would say, we're going to kick the can down the road. We're going to restructure contracts. We're going to you know, make sure that you know we can compete this year and not worry about it. Well, guess what? The result was, amazingly, over $70 million in dead cap space this year for the Bills. They were so hamstrung. But he did it on purpose. And in next year, all of that, all of it was off the books. Uh, I think they actually have like maybe five or six million, uh, and not even maybe three or four, but basically all of it. So I think that that's what Jets you know kind of did as well, but in a little bit of a different fashion. Uh, they didn't go out and you know they, they got rid of some contracts. They also didn't go out and sign all these big money guys and cost them a lot of money. So I do think that that's the right thing for both these teams to do it as they're building a the quarterback. I'm very happy the Bills did what they did because now suddenly they have not only the most. Uh, I think third most cap space in the league this year. The Bills have the most cap space rejected over uh, the next two seasons uh, to really go out and get some players.
0: A fascinating look, not only at an outside in-division perspective on the Adam hire, but the Jets in general and the Jets-Bills rivalry going forward. Sal Capaccio, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where to find your great work or listen to you on the radio, why don't you go ahead and let them know?
1: At Sal Sports on Twitter and WGR550.com on the radio whenever I'm on. But you can always go to the website, read about the Bills, and whatever else is going on this offseason. Keep up on their free agency and craft stuff at WGR550.com.
3: Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint
0: So you heard from Sal Capaccio in terms of the Buffalo viewpoint of what the Jets have been doing with Adam Gase in the rest of the offseason so far. One of the other key moves has been the addition of Greg Williams as the defensive coordinator. Not so long ago, Greg Williams was the head coach in Buffalo after a very successful tenure as defensive coordinator. ...of the Tennessee Titans in which the team almost won a Super Bowl. If you remember, it was that outstretched arm by Kevin Dyson. He almost got into the end zone. It did not happen. The Rams ended up winning the Super Bowl. But Greg Williams became a hot name and ended up getting hired by the Buffalo Bills to start the 2001 season so wanted to turn to my buddy mike lindsley who has been covering the bills for a long time he's also the host of the ml sports platter podcast so if you're not listening and subscribing to that go ahead and do it it's awesome he has so many great guests all the time and i'm gonna let him talk about that a little bit later on but i wanted to bring him in to talk about what greg williams was like running that defense as the head coach up in buffalo for three years mike what's going on buddy
1: Hey, bud. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that that uh, Rams Titans Super Bowl was 20 years ago, <laughs> and and the fact that uh, another quick uh, quick uh, quirky thing uh, to throw in there was that Greg Williams was the coordinator of a team that beat Buffalo in that postseason at the Music City Miracle game, uh, which still is a form of pass. Don't let anybody believe make you believe anything else. But um, you know, Wade Phillips lost that game. That was the Rob Johnson Doug. Bills here. one of the uh, one of the many errors that uh, the quarterback situation didn't work out. In Buffalo,
0: yeah, and things would change as soon as Williams got in there. As you mentioned, Wade Phillips was the coach before that. And he was really into his duties. Greg Williams comes in to replace him. The team had gone 3-13 and in 2000. And they decided they were going to move on from Doug Flutie. So he goes with the team's former general manager who went to San Diego, John Butler. Doug Flutie goes with him. And the Bills start with Rob Johnson as the quarterback. And they decide to go with Greg Williams for a change of pace here and to go into the future with a new direction and a new look. The big moves in the draft that year were Nate Clements, Aaron Schobel, and Travis Henry in the first two rounds. All three did very well for the Bills, so all good additions there. But let's go through that season or at least the highlights of it from the Greg Williams standpoint. What do you remember, Mike, about his initial impression, what he was walking into, and the defensive tone that he set right from the get-go?
1: I mean, we, we all know from Greg Williams's uh, past whether it's been Buffalo, New Orleans, Cleveland, and I'm sure uh, you know in Tennessee, and, and I'm sure what's going to happen with with the Jets is that you know he's he's a very intense guy, and you know we saw that on Hard Knocks as well, um, <laughs> where you know he he was so intense that he he almost looks like he's kind of losing his cool all the time, and. I think what happened with the Bills back then, which, again, was a long time ago. This is a couple decades ago. It it was a different NFL where you could kind of still have a little bit of that tyrannical approach, and it would still work with at least half the locker room. And I just don't think you can do that anymore. I really don't. I think Bill Belichick is a monotone, calm, you know, (laughs) Steady as you go here, I mean, if, he, if you put Bill Belichick's, uh, you know, body, forget about heartbeat, up on a monitor and just let him and just let it rate, it would just be a straight line his entire life, <laughs> um, you know, which is part of his success. Uh, Andy Reid, again, clubhouse, locker-type guy, players coach, Sean McVay, all these new hires, Frank Bright, Doug Peterson, these are all guys who are, are really close to the vest in terms of how to relate to the locker room in addition to... To being pretty good football minds. Greg Williams is a really, really good coach. It's just he's a really good defensive coach. And he's a really, I look, there's a lot of guys in this league, Scott, and you know this, is that they can, they are really, really good coordinators. I mean, they really are. But once you give them the throne, once you give them the CEO title, so to speak, as head coach, everything starts to unravel. There's different things that they didn't know they had to approach. There's certain, Situations that they had to have to approach on both sides of the ball. They've got to focus on all the coaches, all the coordinators, where it was just one side of the ball before. And the Bills were looking for at that time, I believe, you know, to have a guy come in. Remember, this is way before the Pagula era, this is way before the threat of moving. Um, it was still talked about, but it was still not as much of a threat. They were looking for a disciplinarian. That's the bottom line. And he came in and he did deliver it. But I think he kind of ran his welcome out quicker, uh, than a lot of other people would have. I mean, I really do believe that. Um, they had good players. I mean, you just mentioned a bunch of them led by Showblock. I mean, they had good players and I thought that they had a good draft there. But again, it was the similar situation as, as recently. Um, and Bills fans are hoping that Josh Allen works out where there wasn't a quarterback in place. Ownership was kind of helter-skelter. Um and, and I think he wore out his welcome a little a little quicker than um you know than 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 he probably uh had, had seen in the Crystal Ball and, and it probably worked guys down uh in Buffalo. I remember at that time I was in college at St. Bonaventure and you know, I was talking with a lot of people in the media that had him on my college radio shows from Buffalo at that time and I interned for the Empire Sports Network. So I was close to uh, you know, Buffalo all the time uh when Williams had gotten hired. I was an intern uh at the Empire Sports Network, which is no longer, but uh the West Seneca cable uh uh sports channel was such a popular entity. Uh and and they talked at length about it. I remember it. You know, we got Empire in our game, and, You know, we got Empire in our in our apartments and townhouses. And um, you know, it was it was uh Greg Williams is a uh, you know, he's gonna get after it. He's gonna be super intense and I just think that that that, that wore down a lot of the players um and you know I know we're going to get into scheme and all that stuff in terms of what he runs but you know that's what I remember about those buffalo days it was another you know hopeful coach it was another defensive coach hired this was before the real wave of offense in today's NFL where a lot of guys still kind of try to control the line of scrimmage and and you know win with the run game and play action and and discipline and all that kind of crap and now that stuff is you know some of it is is worthwhile but you know, you got to have a gunslinger, and I think that Williams's approach and and his attitude eventually just wore people right down. I think probably a year or two earlier than than what he expected.
0: And he was coming in as a different personality, a change of pace, because Wade Phillips was known more as, like you said, the laid back guy. Is that something that you saw right off the bat, just from the way that he was handling the defense, more hands on, more aggressive, more, for lack of better terms, angry?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's just his personality, man, you know, like I, I think he's a guy who in comparison to Wade Phillips is kind of like the jolly, you know, uh, uh locker room guy, um, but also has a real hard time with X's and O's as a head coach, defensive coordinator, no problem. Again, another one of these guys, the Wade Phillipses, the Greg Williamses, the Wesley Fraziers, the Jenna Schwartzes, the you know, Mike Ballarkey, you know, all these guys who are Coordinators who are just horrendous head coaches, uh, and I realize that still made it the playoffs, but let's be honest. I mean, he's just not—he's not a good head coach. I do think he's going to get some looks though in the future with his recent <laughs> success, which just—I don't know—boggles my mind. But yeah, I mean, a total, total 180 man uh, in terms of uh, personality and, and aggressiveness. And again, I think it's his personality. So fast forward to you know 18 years later or whatever, and we're watching Hard Knocks, right? It, 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 I mean. Look at the way the guy acted in that. And I don't think that well, there was any fluff to that. I don't think it was just for the cameras. I don't think there was any fake, uh, news about it. It was all, it was all him. He's a, a, a tyrant when it comes to the approach to the game. I, I think that can work in the old NFL. I don't think it can work uh, today. We know that he had a real big part. You know, he played a real hand in that bounty gate. Um, I think that's a dark thing on his resume, but as a coordinator only, he is a really good one, and we're going to see. Let's, you know, this Jets team is going to be, I think, uh, you know, I think the defense has been aggressive in the last few years to begin with, but I don't know. Jets fans haven't seen anything yet because Greg Williams is going to literally just let these guys go after the football. I mean, it, it, you know, the 3-4 base looks to a 4-3 and, you know, the different approach that he has in terms of the attacking linebackers and, it's going to be an aggressive defense, and, and uh, I'm very intrigued by you know by the Jets in the draft to see you know how many pieces they pick up in the draft defensively to fit what Williams wants to do.
0: Speaking of fitting what Williams wants to do, let's talk about that because, like you said, the Jets are going to be moving from a 3-4 to what Williams likes to do, a 4-3. Tell me a little bit about what you noticed right away about things that he did differently than Wade Phillips on the defensive side of the ball. And if you could, tell me about his specific use of certain key players, including Clements and Schoble, who he had just brought in through the draft.
1: I think it's just really an attack mode you know i mean i think that's the biggest difference i mean i'm not seeing wade phillips ever blitzed or never disguised or never today that wade phillips you know ran a pretty darn good defense wade phillips has run a pretty darn good defense uh in the nfl for years and years and years and so um you know every guy blitzes every guy disguises every guy has their own plan but i think with williams it's just it's kind of like if you have a pot of water and you're making mac and cheese And you have it on like medium to medium high, and then you really are like, Wait, I need to get this thing boiling quicker, and you throw it up to high for about one minute, that's Greg Williams' temperature. You know, as a defensive (laughs) coordinator, that's how he rolls. And you know, I can specifically remember multiple sets with that Bills team where you know Aaron Sobel is probably one of the more underrated Bills players of all time because went through a tough era of Bills football as well, similarly to Kyle Williams recently, similarly to Fred Johnson, you know, similarly to a lot of these other veterans seen recently with the Bills in terms of, you know, having to deal with the drought and all the quarterback nonsense and the ownership and the thought about moving the team and all all the, 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 the disastrous things that have happened to the Bills in recent memory. And the thing is, is that Shabel got a lot of double teams because of the quality of player he was, Which then even opened up an extra guy in a Williams in a Williams system. And you kind of thought as a Bills fan, like, okay, that could really work to our advantage because if Showell is double teamed all the time, and we're already getting after the the football, we're already bringing the extra blitzer. Wow, you know we're going to have extra guys just dominating, and the quarterback's going to have no time in terms of Clements and those kind of players. You know, secondary biting is what I call it. You know, guys come up and they bite the play quick. I mean they they jump up to, to try and close gaps uh, quicker. Um you see you know corner blitzes. But I think with the four three, you know, what's really unique in terms of that defense compared to a three four, and I'll bring Rex Ryan into the conversation suddenly. <laughs> that Rex Ryan with the three four defense, he tried to run that defense in Buffalo. And what's crazy is people don't realize that Rex Ryan's 3-4 was actually really close to the Greg Williams 4-3. Because what Rex Ryan was trying to do, he would put three guys and then he would use Mario Williams. This was foolish, by the way. But he would use him as a stand-up, almost rushing edge linebacker, you know, almost trying to kind of reclone Lawrence Taylor when he changed the game doing exactly that. And it really wasn't the strong suit of Mario Williams. If Mario Williams was strong down, you know, one hand down on the ground and then pushing defensive linemen as a defensive end attacking. Stunningly enough, when you brought him up to the edge a little bit, it looked like a four-three and it looked like a Williams defense. I mean, when I watched Rex Ryan in Buffalo, I I watched it and I thought about Greg Williams' defense. I was like, boy, this seems similar to what Williams does. So it's going to be fascinating, I'm telling you. And you know, there's a lot of new dimensions in that division. Greg Williams coming back to the division is certainly winning. Um But those are the, the stark differences, I would say, between Phillips
2: and Williams.
1: And then, you know, in, in terms of some other coordinators, um, you know, trying to kind of do their own thing, but looking like like Williams in terms of the attack mode.
3: Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, Stitcher, in or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: Here's something that I found interesting, Mike, when he was the head coach in Buffalo, and you certainly wouldn't expect this from Greg Williams' defenses, but they were ranked towards the bottom of the league on defense's first two years, 29th and 27th, and then jumped all the way up to five. So what was going on those first two years, and then what did he do that third year that made defense jump all the way up so much from 29 year one to 27 year two, and then all the way to five year three?
1: You know, it's an interesting question. I think what happens when you get really, really aggressive is that things slip through the cracks, right? I mean, why is Belichick so good? Because his consistency, his consistent simplicity, while every week he thinks up something new within that consistent, simple game plan to take away what you do best. And with these guys, they're just always in attack mode. Rex Ryan, Greg Williams, all these guys are in constant attack mode. And there isn't a lot of cover, you know, behind the craziness, behind the the blitzing, behind... You know, the chaos. And I think what happened was, you know, Williams kind of disguised more, you know, after the first two years, as opposed to just bringing everybody or, you know, have the corners bite more. And I just think he maybe, you know, had guys kind of back and covering a little bit and then and then a little bit of extra, um, you know, disguising. I will say, though, that the Bills, I think, became a better tackling team uh, that, that year where they jumped up. Um, you know, in, in the rankings for, for defensive efficiency or whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, that, that's a huge thing, too. I mean, if, if you're a big blitzing team, you got to be a really good tackling team, man. Because if you don't tackle and you blitz the quarterback and he throws a little flip screen and the guy gets in the open field and he's darting all over the place, your defense is going to be in the last couple in the NFL easily, uh, repeatedly. Um, you know, quarterbacks, you get rid of the ball super quick. You know, our, our our guys, you know, who can who can beat blitzes. You know, guys who can who can get the ball right to a guy and then yards after the catch and chains move quicker. And, and I think that was pro- those are probably a couple of things that I remember in terms of the difference of uh, of those defenses.
0: You look at a guy as a head coach and look at a guy as a coordinator, and like you said, there's a big difference between the two, and we've seen a lot of guys that have been successful coordinators who did not translate to a head coach, but again, you look at Greg Williams, he came in there 29th, 27th, and all the way to 5th, so he was doing his job as a defensive architect, it seems, just wasn't able to get the job done from an overall standpoint, even after the trade for Drew Bledsoe, right?
1: Bledsoe, man, that is oh my gosh! You're bringing up another another bad quarterback memory for the Bills. <laughs> um, and Belichick and company not scared uh, to trade him to the Bills because uh, they kind of knew it at the end was, was pretty much and They had this kid Tom Brady, of course. But yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, you know, transition, 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 right, Scott? I mean, that's the this league is so built for wildness and, and built for. Uh, insanity and, and, and transition that it's, it's incredible. And, uh, and you know, speaking of that, speaking of Bledsoe and all that sort of thing, um, you know, I'm actually reading the Bill Belichick bio on, uh, you know, by Ian O'Connor. I'm, I'm, a, I'm I don't know, 80 pages in, maybe 82 pages in. And it's going to take me a while. It's a long book, short print, and, you know, time is what it is. But, um, you know, it gets into that, that time, you know, it was, it was Belichick and, 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 you know the game against the, the Jets right after 911 and you know he there was an article recently on it too and uh, the book starts out with September i think the date might be the 23rd and you know every everybody and this is kind of something that I wanted to add to your question is everybody changed that day everything changed that day the Jets changed the Dolphins changed the Bills changed you know because because of Brady because Brady got in that game and it was only a matter of time even if Mo Lewis didn't hit Drew Bledsoe and almost end his life, that, you know what, Brady was going to play eventually. Uh, Who knows when, but Belichick drafted him for a reason in the sixth round after everybody, including him, didn't take him for five rounds. But that game changed everything, right? I mean, it changed Greg Williams. It changed the Bills. It changed the Jets. It changed the Dolphins. It changed drafts. It changed front offices. It changed the approach of the AFC. it It changed everything. And since that point, the Patriots have been at eight Super Bowls. They won five. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy, man. This league is just so wild. It, it, it's uh, the unpredictability of it is is what makes it great. The parity they say makes it great. Although I would beg to differ. I think other sports have more parity than the NFL. Um, believe it or not, um, when you look at all the teams that are consistently in the playoffs, or they boomerang back in the playoffs, the Patriots dynasty. But uh, yeah, neither here nor there. The name Drew Bledsoe. I didn't. I didn't expect to get into
0: that. Yeah, Drew Bledsoe, the quarterback, the second year. Then Greg Williams was there, and he was still there when Greg Williams was fired after the third year. So when you reflect back on Williams' tenure, though, you look at him as a success as a defensive mind and a failure as a head coach. I
1: do, and I think it's been that way for a long time. I mean, I think. I mean, look the Cleveland thing this year. When he got promoted to head coach and all that, everybody knew that it was just a band-aid until John Dorsey really, really wanted his guy. Now, I will tell you, I was stunned that they just gave the job to Freddie Kitchens. I mean, I was stunned. Because he went from running back to OC when they fired Todd Haley to head coach. It's mind-boggling to me how quickly... I I don't know if you can. I can't remember... Just a regular assistant coach, non-coordinator, getting promoted that fast to a head coach. Like I, I, with, with the potential that, that, that respective team has. You know, I, I can't ever remember that. And I, I, am not shocked that Williams wasn't kept on in Cleveland. Um, I think again, it was just a band-aid and what ended up happening in, in that situation. While Greg Williams, I would, I'll give him a little bit of credit, I guess, because of just, you know, whenever you're going to transition and fire people and um, change your role during the year, it's it's extremely difficult, especially if it's not planned. Um, but, like, Fred Williams has had coach who didn't call the offensive plays. You know, Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens had a great relationship. Not a good one, a great one. And Baker's numbers even spiked more when Freddie took over. So, I don't know, man. I, I just, I think there are some guys who are cut out to be CEOs of a team, you know? That's what that job is. You are in, your hand is in every single bucket of of, of the company. You're handling, I mean, <laughs> Bill Belichick's handling, you know, human resources and corporate decisions and this and that. Well, in football, that's just called the offensive side, the defensive side player personnel, you know, inside the locker room, uh, film sessions, right? Control I mean, that's what that's called in football, you know, compared to business. So I just look at it as I just look at it as Greg Williams historically, and I don't think it's gonna change, being a very, very successful defensive coordinator, great defensive mind like many others. But when it comes to having to control the team and lead the team, I, I don't think he's I, I do. I think he's been a failure. I really do. And and, and you know what? I guess the one thing that Jet fans can be thankful for is he's not the head
0: coach. Yeah, which is what I was going to ask you about because Adam Gase said that whoever came in here as defensive coordinator was essentially going to be the de facto head coach of the defense. So he is going to run things on the defensive side of the ball and Adam Gase is more or less going to be hands-off and let him do what he wants. Even though you just said that you don't love him as a CEO, you think he's fine in that role?
1: I think so. I, I think... You know, again, it's going to depend on. A, a, you know, I think he's a, again. I think he's a really good defensive mind. I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. I think the draft will play a part in a lot of this as well because, you know, they've got to get players and, and and you know they that fit what he wants to do. Now, granted, the best of the best of the best historically have always said, okay, this is my system, and then I'm going to take the players that I have or I'm going to get and I gotta see what, where their strengths are and that'll plug into my system. Other guys say, screw it, they're gonna do what I want no matter what. Rex Ryan. So that, I think, is going to be where the balance is needed with Greg Williams. He's gotta figure out, okay, what do all these guys do best and then how is it implemented into my system?
0: And he was able to do that successfully in Buffalo?
1: I think as time went on, I think he, he, he was. Um, you know, but again, as a head coach, the guy lost so many other things with the team. You know that that the one side of the ball again, they were relying like they have for so long on defense. You know that they don't have quarterbacks, they don't have this, they don't have that, they don't have a potent you know uh, offensive game. They don't have uh, you know and in Buffalo for years without a quarterback and everything else. They've tried to win games. You know, ten seven, thirteen seven. I mean, Buffalo has always had a lack of scoring and hacked with the Sabres. I remember Dominic Hasek. They relied on defense and goaltending. They lost to a start team that was loaded offensively. They had a great goaltender, but that's been like the mo in Buffalo. You know, it's like always play a defense. But what about the offense? And now I think, um, you know, maybe that's going to change a little bit. I don't know, but um, you know, I-, I think he was able to do it to a certain extent. But but again, I think I again. With the head coaching thing, I just think that you're, you, for guys like Greg Williams, they get so overwhelmed with the amount of things that they have to do with a head coach compared to a coordinator that certain things just fall to the cracks. That's all.
0: He is the host of the ML Sports Platter podcast. You should subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or whatever it is that you listen to podcasts on. Great show. He's had some huge guests, including Linda Cohn, who's a living legend, Jay Billis, and so many more. I'm going to let him tell you about it in just a second. Mike, thanks so much for coming on and talking a little Greg Williams in Buffalo with me. For anybody who's unfamiliar with you or the ML Sports Platter podcast, go ahead and let him know all about it.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, man. Uh, yeah, I've been doing, you know, media for about 20 years, heavy radio background, and uh, broke away doing the pod thing, and, uh, had a blast, um, so far. I'm in a year or two now, and, uh, you know, we're growing every day, and, uh, you know, I've had the fortunate, um, you know, I've always based my, uh, shows on content and, uh, knowledge and organization, and, uh, it doesn't change the podcast because basically what is a podcast? It's online radio. That's how I look at it. And, or, or mobile radio. And, um, you know, the beat's gone on with the guests. I try to get the best guests you can possibly get. You mentioned a few of them there. I had Teller Jr. on recently, who was really great. Uh, you know, Jim Everett, um, uh, you know, I just recently had Brittany Giroli on from The Athletic, who was fantastic, who covers Washington, D.C. sports. I had John McMullen on yesterday. Uh, NFL Insider. Um, so just a ton of people, you know, Barry Melrose, Jessica Mendoza, uh, Ken Singleton from the Yes Network. So um, hopefully there's more to come. I got some in the, in the cooker right now and I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that the recipe is, uh, is, is, is right on cue for, uh, for a good, uh, for a good 2019 one.
0: Thanks, Mike. Make sure you're listening to Mike and subscribe to the ML Sports Platter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.